We have been in a, a series for a few weeks on, on the Holy Spirit, and we're just calling it Come Holy Spirit. And uh, <clears throat> some, of these, some of these are going to be deeper than, uh, than deep, okay? We're just going to wade in there, and it'll be over our head, and today's one of those days. We're familiar with what I'm going to share, but we're not, I don't think we really understand it. And so having said that, what, what I'm going to talk about today is, is, is the Holy Spirit as the divine midwife. And I want you to think about that for a while. Most of you have heard the term midwife. A midwife is a specialist in pregnancy and childbirth and postpartum and women's health care. Today in America, midwives are not as common, okay? In fact, I, I would dare say that it's, it's likely that that most of you ladies who have experienced childbirth did not use a midwife. You probably used a, an OBGYN doctor. Uh, things have changed a little bit in our country, but in many parts of the world, midwives are the essential elements that are there when, when babies are born. And not only when healthy babies are born, also with the care of, of the mothers and the ladies. Prior to the, to the uh, 20th century, that was true in America as well. But most Christians are familiar with the term, at least the term midwife, because we, we know the story of Moses. And, and it's, it's interesting to me that uh, in the story of Moses, that God makes sure that the names of two ladies are remembered for their obedience. And, and there were two midwives. They're known as Shephira and uh, Pua, or Pua. I'm not sure which, but we find their names in Exodus 1. Midwives cared for women and they cared for the babies throughout their pregnancy and they were there to assist them when those babies were born and they were help they were there to help those women learn to care for their babies i mean uh i don't i i can only speak as a father i mean i don't have a clue what to do okay i mean that, that, that little baby is is, is helpless and, and you feel even more helpless than he is and and so uh or she is and so the midwives were there to kind of help the new mother they were there to assist they came alongside and they helped in the birth we know in studying about the holy spirit a couple of weeks ago that he is the life giver we talked about that but he's also the divine midwife in, in, a, in a sense. There's never been a person who's been born again without the assistance of the Holy Spirit. He's always there, okay? He's always there. One of his names, uh, the, one of his Greek names is the parakletos. It's the one who comes alongside Literally, that's what it means, the one who assists. Some translations today use the word comforter. Now, I want you to understand, it's not the person who sits by your side and pats you on the hand and tells you everything's going to be all right. That's not what that word means. It's the one who comes alongside of you and assists you and walks you into the problem and out of the problem. Not just somebody to tell you, hey, it's going to be good and then disappear. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside. And there's a, there's a truth. He, he, he is there from the moment spiritual life begins. He's even there before the conception of spiritual life. A person cannot be born again without the work of the Holy Spirit, without the divine midwife. And so today what, what I want to do is I want us to look at a very familiar verse of uh, a very familiar passage of Scripture in, in, in which is probably the most famous verse in all Christendom. It's in John chapter 3. Most of us are familiar with John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I mean, we, we learned that verse, probably most of us, that was the first verse we learned. And it's a very important verse. But Jesus, uh, what we don't realize is the context in which that verse falls. Jesus is involved in a, in a, in a deep discussion with the teacher of Israel, not a teacher. I'm talking about the PhD, the guy who is, who he's the top of the heap when it comes to theology in, 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 in Israel. His name is Nicodemus and Nicodemus comes, he's a ruler of the Jews. 
And he comes to see Jesus at night. He comes because he's heard what Jesus is teaching. He's probably seen some of the miracles that Jesus has done. And you know what? The Holy Spirit's drawing him. He, he's opened to the, to the truth. He knows what Scripture says. And he's trying to balance. Okay, here's what Scripture says. And here's what this man is doing. Something's going on here. And so he comes to Jesus by night. Now we make a, a lot of times preachers make this big deal about him coming by night. Okay? Folks, he is the most important man in Israel when it comes to worship, when it comes to religion, when it comes to the scriptures. He's the top of the heap. And so he comes because he, is, he doesn't want to be in the crowds. Maybe he doesn't want to be seen. I don't know. But if that's okay, he still comes. Okay, and that's what's important. It's not whether you come during the day or you come at night. It's the fact that you come. And he, he seeks Jesus out. And he, he, he begins a conversation with Jesus. And, and this is the, the conversation is about, it's about birth. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read John chapter 3. And you're going to see on the screen in a minute verse 3. But I'm going to start. I'll just start in one. And, and I didn't put this in the notes. But I'm just going to do this this morning. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He's a Pharisee, okay? So he is a very conservative uh, believer. He's a very conservative theologian. He believes in the resurrection. He believes in the life after death. He believes in the Messiah. He believes in miracles. And he's a ruler of the Jews. He is, he's not just a, 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 an ordinary Pharisee. He's a ruler. And this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Now I just get the impression there that, that Nicodemus wants to, he wants to have a discussion with Jesus about the signs and the wonders. I, I really believe that's why he's there because those were, the, those were the things, and we studied this when we studied healing, but there were certain signs and certain wonders that only the Messiah would do. He would, he would heal lepers. He would give um, the, the hearing and the voice back to the mute. We know those things. There were, there were some others. So I believe he came probably to discuss that. But in verse 3, Jesus takes him down another road that he wasn't quite prepared to go. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again. Now we as southern Christians, that's a very common word for us. Amen? Born again. We, we just throw it around. Born again, born again. You got to be born again. Nicodemus had not heard that before. That was a new term for him. Now he, had, he knew what born meant. And of course, he, he, he thought he understood what born again meant. It meant to be born a second time. But he didn't understand the spiritual dynamics of it. And so Nicodemus says to Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? See, he thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. But Jesus was talking about a spiritual birth, a rebirth. And so he's he, he just honest. He asked the question. I like people that ask questions. For some people, we get too smart to ask questions. And we stop learning. I mean, this is the, this is the teacher of Israel. And he's asking questions. Now, they may seem simple in our minds because we're on this side of the conversation. We're not there with him. If we had been there, we would probably have asked the same question. How can you be born again? How, yeah, I mean, can, you, you can't return to your mother's womb again and, and, and be born again that way. And so Jesus answers him. He says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus differentiates. He says there's, there's a natural birth, and there's a supernatural birth. 
And he goes on, he says, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is describing a moment in time that every person must go through if they hope to see the kingdom of God. What he's talking about is salvation. He's talking about a term we use uh, very, just like born again, it's to be saved. The problem is, is that most people don't really understand that, okay? Especially non-believers. And the reality of it is, is even as believers, we don't fully understand it. But Jesus is, is saying to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You have to be saved from your sins. You have to be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's talking about the birthing process. And he, he uses that, that metaphor there because literally that's what being saved is. It's a, it's a, it's a, a new birth. And so he begins to talk about it, and he begins to, to talk about the Holy Spirit in the same sentence. And it's, it's the Holy Spirit, what I've chosen to call today the divine midwife, who, who, who really directs that process. He's the person who transforms the unbeliever into a believer, the saint, or the sinner into a saint. In that moment, there's a change, folks. There are things that happen. And it's important that we understand what those things are. And one of the reasons it's so important is because if we don't understand what takes place, we're not very effective and we're not very motivated to share that with other people. And it becomes, you know, and I, and I don't mean this to be irreverent, but it becomes sort of a, a fire insurance policy. Okay? I'm not going to hell. But there's so much more. It's, it's such a, a rich event. And, and there are even more things than what I'm going to share today that take place in that moment. But it's the Holy Spirit who does it. Being born again or being saved really means being born of the Spirit. That, that's, that's, the, that's the language Jesus uses. It means to be born of the Spirit. And if we don't understand the process, if we don't understand what takes place from conception to birth, then we won't ever share the gospel. It won't be a big deal to us. It won't be that important. And it sure won't be that miraculous, and therefore we'll just kind of keep it to ourselves. So how is a person born of the Spirit? How is a, how is a person saved? How is a person born again? Those are good questions. Those are the, the, that's the question that, that when Jesus began to talk about this supernatural birth, that must have filled Nicodemus' head. Nicodemus had been taught that if you'll keep the law, and you'll be righteous, and you'll do, you'll do what God says to do, then God will take care of it. Jesus comes and says, hey, you know what? That's important, but that won't get you into the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. And I, if you don't hear anything else I say today, Please hear this. Salvation, being born of the Spirit, being born again, being saved is a complete work of God. Okay? It's completely God. It has nothing to do with what you or I do. It's a grace work of God. And I'm going to show you the things that take place. But how is a person born again? How does a person come to the place where they even realize they need to be born again? Well, that person has to either hear or read the gospel. And by that I mean the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Okay? They have to do that in some, read it or, or hear it in some form or fashion. That might be a CD, it might be a billboard, it may be a, a, a passage of script, I mean a, a, a scripture passage on a car tag. But there has to be something there to, to spur that interest, that, 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 that awakening. 
And for that to happen, somebody, another person has to partner with the Holy Spirit. Somebody has to be willing to, to be used. They have to have a conversation. They have to, 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 to order that personalized tag. They have to, to put those words on a billboard. They have to have a conversation. They have to write a letter or give out a tract that the Holy Spirit can then use to conceive spiritual life and to bring it to full term and to birth. If we're faithful in doing our part, folks, that's why sharing the gospel is so important. You may not be a Romans Road person, an EE person, or any of the other uh, uh, programs that have been used for very successfully for evangelism, but you know what? You and I can play a part. We can give somebody a track. We can tell somebody, hey, Jesus loves you. We can do those things, and if we will just do those things, guess what? The Holy Spirit will take those things, and we'll have a population explosion. I'm just telling you. The population in the kingdom will increase, and we'll see that because the Holy Spirit will do His part. So how does the Holy Spirit work once He has a partner? Let's just say you or I have decided, you know what, we're going we're gonna to partner and we meet Mary out on the highway somewhere and we just, you know, we're, we're scared to death, we're sweating profusely, our hands are freezing cold and we just shove that track there and go, please read that, God bless you. What happens? Well, what the Holy Spirit does is He begins a process. Let's just say Mary opens that track up and begins to read. The first step that takes place is something called conviction. Without conviction, there can be no conception. Okay? You just don't get saved when you want to get saved. There has to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11 says this. Jesus is talking and he says, And he, and he's speaking of the Helper, the Holy Spirit, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe in me. And concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. To convict means to to place the truth of the gospel. And And the gospel is who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Okay, that's what the gospel is. It's his, it's his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It's the story of Jesus from the beginning to the end. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That Jesus has been sent by God because God loves us. And God wants a relationship with us. And so it, it, to convict means to place the truth of the gospel in a very clear light. In other words, it's to, it's to shine the focus on the gospel, before that unsaved person, so that, that it's, it's acknowledged as truth, whether or not they receive Jesus as their Savior. I want you to hear me this morning. When a man or woman is confronted by Jesus, there is something in them that knows it's true. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, no matter what kind of lifestyle they're involved in, no matter what they say they believe, they know that it's true. And what happens is conviction is the idea of exposing that truth for the purpose of convincing or refuting that person's arguments. Now listen to me, it's not our job to destroy their arguments, okay? It's not our job to argue or debate. It's our job to lovingly sow the seed. Jesus is the Savior. He came to die for you. He loves you. If you'll trust Him and you'll believe in Him, He'll save you. If you cry out, He'll do that. It's not our job to to answer where God came from, okay? You know why? Because God hasn't given us an answer. He just says, I am, okay? It's not our job to explain why bad things happen to good people. It's not our job to explain where sin came from and, and, and where the devil came from. It's not our job to explain those things. Our job is to share The gospel, the love of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And as he convicts, 
He confronts their arguments. And listen to me. It's something that happens in here, and it's something that happens in here. And when conviction really takes place, when it's real conviction... Listen, the Holy Spirit knocks the walls down. He knocks the, the underpinnings out of the arguments. He, he deflates all of that stuff, and it's no longer there. And they know there's a God. And they know that Jesus is his son. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And folks, listen to me. He does it every time. Every time the gospel is shared, there is a measure of conviction because that person you share with knows what you're saying is the truth, regardless of where they choose to believe it or not. Scripture is very clear about that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says it's because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. Every man, every woman, I don't care if in they're in the darkest village, in the darkest jungle, knows there is a God. They may not know his name. But they know there's a God. And if you study the, the, the paganism and you study the beliefs of different groups, you will find there's always a good God, though they may not worship him. Okay? So we know there's a God. It's, 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 it's made clear by natural revelation. But see, when we come in and we share who that God is, and that he sent his son to redeem us, then the Holy Spirit begins to work with that. See, they can't deny that, though they may not accept that and believe that. And conviction takes place. The Holy Spirit share, takes that gospel message that's shared, and he uses to destroy the arguments that are postured against the truth of Jesus. How does he do it? Well, with regard to sin, the Spirit, according to, to John chapter 16... Verse 8 through 11, the Spirit uses it and shows a person that their unbelief is the source of their sin. Well, you know why you're a sinner? Because you don't believe. He, he, he brings conviction in that area. With regard to righteousness, that person is, is convinced by the Holy Spirit of Christ's righteousness. Because Jesus has ascended to the Father. See, he 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 tell he he. he Uses the Holy Spirit uses that truth to show us that our righteousness doesn't come close to Jesus' righteousness. And thirdly, it, with regard to judgment, that the Spirit the Spirit convicts, he 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 exposes and he refutes any opposition, but he he, he convicts them of a coming judgment because Satan, who's the greatest enemy, has already been judged. And if he's been judged, then those who don't believe are going to face a judgment as well. The Holy Spirit does all of this. That person may reject the truth, folks, but they will not be able to stand before God and plead ignorance. Okay? They won't because of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Now, sometimes conviction takes a moment, all right? And sometimes it takes months, all right? It, it, it doesn't happen instantly. It's a process. I mean, when, you, when you're destroying the belief systems of somebody who, who, who built their whole life on a lie, sometimes it takes a little while. But guess what? That's the Holy Spirit's job. One of the things we do, and, and this is just a hobby horse for me, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and say this. One of the things we want to do is hurry it along. In other words, if you'll just come on down this aisle, if you're feeling, the, you know, if you're feeling a little whatever inside, or, or you'll just, you know, if, if you're ministering to a child and, and you'll just push that along. Listen, you can be manipulative and you can manipulate people into decisions that the Holy Spirit has not got them to the place where they need to make. Okay? If you'll study the history of the church, sometimes conviction lasts for days and days and days. In the 1700s, 1800s, as, as the evangelists were preaching revivals all across this country, they had something called the mourner's bench. 
You know why they were there? Because they were mourning over their sin. They were, they were, the Holy Spirit was, was wearing them out with conviction. And, and some of them would go home and they would come for weeks at a time until finally they were broken and they were saved. And when they were saved, folks, nobody had to ask them six weeks down the road, are you still saved or not? No, they were saved, okay? I, I'm not going to share the young man's name, but I had a young man one time who came to me while I was at GF, at Gardendale, and, and I had known, I knew his family, and, and I knew him, and we sat and we talked, and after we talked a little while, I said, you know what, you need, to, you need to accept Jesus. He goes, I know that. I said, then why don't you do that? And I spent the next 30 minutes sharing the gospel every way I knew how, okay? And at the end, I said, you need to ask Jesus in your life. He said, I know that. I said, okay. Now, I didn't tell him a car wreck story. I didn't, I didn't do any of that kind of stuff because I just don't believe in manipulation. I said, I'm going to pray for you. He said, I wish you would. About six weeks later, he came again. We sat down and we did the same dance. I said, you need Jesus. He said, I know I need Jesus. I'm just not ready. I said, okay. About six weeks later, I got out of my car and there he stood. I mean, he was, he was he's a big guy, okay? I'm big, but he's bigger. He goes, man, I need Jesus, and I need him now. I said, you want to, go, you want to do it right here? You want to go in my office? He said, let's go in your office because I don't know what's going to happen. So, <laughs> I mean, he's trembling. His eyes are bulged out. I mean, he's just, he's a mess. And we go in my office, and, and he prays, and he asks Jesus to come into his life. And folks, I'm telling you what. There, there's no doubt that he's saved. I've seen him, that's been almost 10 or 12 years ago. Every time I talk to him or every time I see him, he just tells me what God's doing in his life. Folks, that's the reason so many people walk the aisle so many times because the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not complete. When the Holy Spirit has destroyed all the underpinnings of unbelief, then I have nothing left but to fall at the feet of Jesus. The Holy Spirit does that, and He does it in a gentle way sometimes. And sometimes He does it in a traumatic way, okay? He, he uses whatever He needs to use. It's the grace of God. It's not how He does it. It's when He finishes it that's important, okay? And so conviction is the first thing that takes place. But when there's conviction, and conviction has run its full course, and that person realizes that there's conception, all of a sudden, the process of being born again takes place. When every wall or argument is ground into dust, that person then repents. Now, we, we hear that word all the time. Repent, repent, repent. Repentance. But repentance is, is, is the moment in which conception takes place. It's that moment. It's, it's when everything is, is positive. There's repentance. When, when a person realizes, that, you know what? I am a sinner. That I deserve to go to hell. That I don't deserve grace. That's repentance. Repentance is a change of direction. But it's not just a change of direction. It's a return to wherever God is. You know, if you just change directions, you go in a circle. But repentance changes your direction and leads you to a specific place. And that's, that's where God is. In, in Luke chapter 5.32, Jesus says this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Repentance is a change of outlook. It's a change of lifestyle that enthrones God and dethrones self. See, you and God can't sit on the same throne and there be repentance Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 puts it this way. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him but to suffer for His sake. At that moment of repentance, God gives something else. He gives the gift of faith to believe. When I repent, all of a sudden, boom, there's a faith put inside of me to believe the gospel. Without conviction... There's no repentance. Without any repentance, there's no faith to believe. Then all of a sudden, this process begins to, to pick up speed. Ephesians 2, 
verse 8 says that for by grace you have been saved through faith. Well, where did the faith come from? It came from God. It was a gift. And that's, it's not of ourselves, but it's a gift of God. So, so all of a sudden, conv- the Holy Spirit has used conviction to knock down all the walls. Repentance has come. That person realizes that, hey, I'm a, I'm a sinner and I deserve death. And then all of a sudden, God infuses that broken heart with the ability to believe with faith. And when faith takes place, folks, something happens. It's called, we have a theological word for it. It's only used one time in the Bible, but it's regeneration. Regeneration is the act of begetting by God. It's the act of God birthing a new creation in that person. Of being born again of the Spirit. And when that takes place, there's an impartation of eternal life. The Holy Spirit orchestrates the birth of a new creation. Titus 3, verse 4 and 7 says this, But when the kindness of God our Savior... And his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Now I don't know how many times God says this throughout scripture. Okay. Listen, I'm going to say it in plain English. Salvation is not accomplished through works. Okay. It's accomplished by the grace of God. He says... It's not on the basis of the deeds which we've done in in righteousness, but it's according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we could be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So so you've got conviction. You've got repentance. (coughs) Excuse me. All of a sudden, there's faith to believe, and then regeneration takes place. We're born again. We're we're born of the Spirit. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus there in in this passage in in John chapter 3. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Folks, Regeneration happens in an instant. I want you to hear me. It's not a process. It happens. Boom. Conviction is a process. Sometimes repentance, coming to that place of repentance, is a process. But regeneration is immediate. It happens, boom, just like that. It's not dependent, and it's not based on some kind of physical manifestation or some kind of experience. Some people shed tears. They cry like babies. Okay? I've heard people weep and wail. I've seen people that were silent except for tears stream down their face. And sometimes they don't cry at all. Okay? Sometimes they get excited. And sometimes they are just flat line calm. Okay? <laughs> Salvation can't be gauged by an experience. It is a work of God, and it affects us differently, okay? Some of you cried at the drop of a, a, of a pen, and some of you, you could beat on you a while, you wouldn't cry. Some of you are normally excited and, and, and very extroverted, and some of you are very introverted and very guarded. You know what? When the Holy Spirit births somebody in you, He uses what He's got to work with, okay? So the experience as far as emotional, is different. And it's not something that that we base it on. But what happens, the consequence of that regeneration is a new nature in a moment. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. 1 John 2.29 puts it this way. Jesus puts it this way. He says, If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of Him. There's a new nature, and there's a new lifestyle. 
Folks, if you, don't, if you don't have a new nature and you don't have a new lifestyle, you haven't been regenerated, okay? Because when Jesus changes you, he changes you, all right? Does that mean everything becomes perfect and, and, and everything's good and there's no more problems? No, that's not, that's not what happens. But there's a change. And that change takes place in here and begins to ooze out here, okay? It may not ooze out very quick, but it oozes out eventually because you cannot contain it. All right? So there's, there's, a, there's a new nature that takes place in here which produces a new lifestyle, a new life out here. Now, at that moment, that person is saved. Now, I don't know how quickly the rest of this happens. I think it's instantaneous. I really believe that. I think all of this happens... Boom, just like that. But in that same moment, there are three other distinct acts in which the Holy Spirit is a part of. We're going to talk about each of these a little bit more later in this series, but I just want you to understand what the Holy Spirit has done when a person is born again. As that person is regenerate, as that person is made new, the the Spirit moves from being an outside effect to an inside resident, okay? In conviction, the Holy Spirit is out here working. But when regeneration takes place, He moves from out here to in here. The scripture uses the term to describe that as, as indwell or to be indwelt. It means that the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us where our spirit resides. And we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. We become, if you just think for a minute, in the the Old Testament, the glory of God rested above the mercy seat between the cherubim over the ark. You know the picture in the Holy of Holies. Uh, There was this this box, this golden box, and on the top of it was a a mercy seat where the priest would sprinkle the blood. And and there were a cherubim on either side that guarded the presence of God. And God's presence... Literal presence rested there. Folks, we are the temple in which the presence of God rests. And He rests in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. We are indwelt by Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6.19 says this. Paul the Apostle writes, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Not on you, but in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Jesus talks about that indwelling in John chapter 14, 17. He says, the spirit of truth will be in you. Listen, if you're not indwelt by the spirit of God this morning, you're not a believer. And you don't belong to Jesus. You say, Nelson, that's hard. That's cold. No, that's what Scripture teaches, okay? The Spirit of God indwells us. So there's an indwelling in that moment. There's also a baptism. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. The Spirit of God baptizes every believer into the body of Jesus. This is not what we would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what's commonly called that. But truly, this is the baptism that the Spirit does. Okay? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a work that Jesus does. Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Spirit, but the Spirit of God places us in the the mystical body of Christ. We become a part of the body of Christ at that very moment when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't want to confuse you, so I want to spend a lot of time talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right? But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what you're baptized into. This baptism here is what the Holy Spirit does. He baptizes us into the body of Christ. There's also, in that that moment, God the Father seals every believer. And that sealing means that, that, that God, there's a certainty of being possessed by God and preserved until the day of, of redemption. It's a, that, that sealing is, is that moment when God says, this person is mine. 
This person belongs to me. Folks, it's a guarantee. I like guarantees. When I spend a lot of money, I want to guarantee that this will work. Okay? God has the best guarantee that there is. And you don't have to read fine print, and it's not written in lawyer ease. Okay? God seals us with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God resides in us as proof that we belong to Him. It's like a wedding ring. It's an engagement ring in a sense. Listen closely to the promise He gives us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, In Him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Folks, we have been saved. We are being saved, and ultimately we will be completely saved. Okay, it's a process, but it's, it's complete. You say, well, how can it be complete? In God's mind, it's complete. When that initial salvation takes place, the rest of it's guaranteed. Okay? That's what he's saying. He's put the Spirit of God in us. It's like he's, he's slipped a ring on our finger. And he declares, that the Holy Spirit declares that we belong to Jesus and we will be His until He returns for us. He seals us. He marks us with a mark that no created being can tamper with. They can't break it. I know, I know Jimmy uh, drives a truck. My, my, uh, Cody, my nephew, drives a truck. And very often you will haul loads that are sealed. And if that seal is broken when you get to the place to deliver it, there is our problems in River City. Okay? There's big problems. Okay? The Holy Spirit is our seal. And listen to me. It won't be broken. There's nothing that can cut that seal off of us. There's nothing that can, can take that seal away from us. And so no creature can change what God has done in us through the Holy Spirit. And voila, you have a Christian who's been born again. Through the miraculous work of the midwife, the Holy Spirit. All along the way, throughout the process, he's been with us. And here's some good news. He will never leave us. Never. Ever. Well, what if I do this? What if I do that? Listen, you didn't do anything to get saved. So you can't do anything to get unsaved. That's the power of the grace of God. He'll always be with us, and He will always assist us in whatever we face. Listen, we're going to talk at length. Probably take a Sunday to talk about the indwelling. We're going to talk a, take a Sunday to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the power of God comes on you and you are equipped to do what God has called you to do. We're going to talk about that. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to strip away and we're going to look at what Scripture teaches and, and what Scripture uh, says. And we're going to look a little bit more at this ceiling. But I just want you to understand those three things take place. Boom, 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 boom. Salvation, being born again, being saved, being born of the Spirit, whatever you choose to call it, is a work of the Holy Spirit from start to finish. Apart from the Holy Spirit, listen to me, a person cannot be saved. Why do we invite the Holy Spirit to come? Because I can preach my guts out. I can use all kind of manipulative techniques. And if I could impress you, I would, but nothing will happen. All right? If he doesn't come, nothing happens. They are empty words spoken out of an empty mouth that came from an empty head. That's, that's just reality. Without the Holy Spirit to empower the Word of God, life does not spring forth. But folks, when the Spirit of God is present and when he begins to move and people begin to come under conviction and they begin to, to repent, man, God births new babies. He fills the nurseries up. That's what we need in America today, okay? We don't, we don't need to stand on street corners and, and rail and yell at people. We just need to share the gospel and give him something to work with. That's what he's doing. He's crying out, will my church just do what I've told them to do? Because if they'll, if I'll do, what, if they'll do what I told them to do, I'll do what I say I will do. I'll bring awakening. 
I'll revive the church and I'll bring awakening in communities. But we've got to know and understand the process. Do you see why it's so important that we share the gospel? We just have to, we just have to give him a door, a crack. He's chosen to partner with us. Why? I don't know. If I was picking partners, I wouldn't have picked me. Okay? I can't say anything about you, but if I was picking a partner, I know me. I wouldn't have picked me. But he did. And he picked you. And if we'll just do our part, we'll share a track, we'll share a kind word about Jesus. Man, we'll give somebody a verse. We'll write a note. He'll use that moment. And he'll start that convicting process. And after that, who knows what might happen. Folks, that's what the Holy Spirit does when it comes to salvation. Seven things. He convicts. He convicts. He brings repentance. See, repentance is a gift. We don't do it on our own. It's, it's a gift from God. When repentance takes place, there, there, there's faith. He gives us the gift of faith. When faith takes place, boom, there's birth. There's regeneration. That person is made new. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God comes inside that person. The Spirit of Jesus. And He places that person, baptizes them, He places them, He plunges them. That's literally what it means. He plunges them into the body of Christ. They become a part of something (coughs) larger than an individual. They become a part of the corporate body of Jesus and, and He seals them. He makes sure they're safe. Come what may. I, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture because, number one, I love it. And because, number two, it, it's, it's just so powerful. And number three, there's somebody in here right now that's struggling, believing that God loves them. This is what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. For I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. What is the only thing that's not created? God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Everything else is created. Paul has just said there's nothing that has been created, listen to what he says, which will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Once He has sealed us, nothing can separate us. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Have I sinned the unforgivable sin? Not if you've asked Jesus in your life. You can't. Have I gone too far? Not if you've asked Jesus into your life. You know, maybe you're you're on the other side though, and you've never asked Jesus. Well, maybe, preacher, I've done this and this. I've done, you know, I can't. But yes, you can. If there's if you're sensing conviction right now, you could be saved. All you have to do is repent. God will give you the faith to believe, and then all of a sudden, man, it will take off, and there'll be you'll be born again. It's just, it's that simple, folks. It sounds complex, but it's not. If I will just listen, mainly, if I'll just listen to the truth, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, only God knows what can happen next. I don't care where you've been, I don't care what you've done. That's what God says He will do. And folks, He didn't just say that from a throne in heaven. He said that and came to this earth and beat the bushes to find us. And He's still beating the bushes to find us. The Holy Spirit goes where no person can go. He can get into places that that no human being can get into. Right now, in, in, in the Islamic countries across the world, the Holy Spirit's showing up in dreams and visions. And they don't know who it is, and they don't understand, but their hearts are aroused because they're seeing somebody that, that appears to be the Jesus, the prophet, 
of the Old Testament. Who is that? It's the Holy Spirit, man. He, he's bringing what, what little bit of the gospel is in their book to life. See, that's where Muhammad made the mistake. He put Jesus in the Koran. That's just my opinion, okay? That's just one man's opinion. But all around the world, there's story after story of, 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 of Muslim men and women having dreams of Jesus. Folks, there's no person too far away. There's no person that's gone too far that can't be saved. We live in the day of grace. We, scripture calls it, Jesus calls it the day of uh, the year of Jubilee. Okay? He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've come to set the captives free, to give the sight back to the blind, to, to let the captives go free, and to proclaim the year of freedom, the year of liberty. It's the year of Jubilee. There's grace. Folks, we live in the age of grace. It's important that we understand the process. Because if I understand the process, it's even more miraculous. And if I understand somewhat the miracle, I want to tell everybody about it. I don't want to keep it to myself. Man, if, I, if I've got the, 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 the inoculation and the vaccine that will save the world, I, I, I want to get it out there. Look, if I know how to cure Zika, I, I, I want to share it with somebody, okay? That's what God does through the Holy Spirit. There is, folks, an inoculation. There is a vaccine for sin and death. His name is Jesus. And listen to me, today the Holy Spirit is giving that vaccine out. I've shared the gospel today. Very clearly, very step by step. There are some of you here this morning that are under conviction. You just need to listen to God. Let Him knock down the defenses. And you need to repent. And when that moment takes place, whether it's here or it's in your car on the way home, or it's tonight in the middle of the night. When that takes place, you need to slip out of your bed, stop your car. If you're here this morning, you just need to, 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 to kneel down and surrender. Because in that moment, belief will take place. Regeneration will take place. And all the other things will take place. And when you get up, you will be a different creature than when you knelt down or when you sat. Folks, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important. Without the Holy Spirit, there can't be birth, spiritual birth. Let's pray. Father, we bless you this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.